to ask you to talk a little about disregard. Yeah. And I can say just a few words about why that seemed really sure, yeah. relevant to me. Um, you know, I'm working with people who've been chronically homeless, who may have a severe mental illness. Uh, it's so obvious they've been abandoned or left behind. Mm -hmm. They're often sort of in spaces that are not real spaces, certainly not habitable spaces. They may be hidden. Um, they kind of move in spaces that are uh, intended to be empty. We also mm. walk around the city kind of ignoring them, mm -hmm. um, sort of have to mm -hmm. sometimes. You notice it, there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. um, so as I learned a little more about how you think about disregard, mm -hmm. I thought it just seems like a concept that's so relevant to the challenge of working mm -hmm. with the most vulnerable homeless. Yeah. And I found it helpful as well in thinking through and coping with some of the emotional challenges yeah. of the work. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I wanted to ask you to yeah. talk through a little of how you came to the idea mm -hmm. of disregard uh, and aloneness, mm -hmm. how those are related, yeah. and how you think about them in your own context. Yeah, so maybe I'll start by kind of situating it in my own research and then we can draw it out to the kind of parallels in someone homeless in LA. So um, yeah, so my research, my ethnographic research is in the US Virgin Islands. I work with um, older adults, mostly who are near the end of life. And um, going through my data after my year of research, I really started to see disregard coming up at all these different social levels. And it came at first um, from when I was in the field, really noticing aloneness and isolation in all these different contexts. So, um, and you know, begin, it's isolation, it's marginalization. Um, I usually say aloneness, but it's, it's all of those things. Um, so at first, I was noticing that older adults were alone at home in their houses mm. a lot. Um, so, um, and that's for a lot of reasons. A lot of their family has migrated. Um, people need to work long hours in order to pay the rent, etc. But I was often encountering people who were um, unable, you know, quite um, quite far along in their illness, quite old, and were unable to really move, and yet were alone in the house most of the day. So that was very striking, and I thought something about aloneness is important. Mm -hmm. And then at that same time, I was also thinking about this sort of geopolitical aloneness or geopolitical marginalization that is um, that's happening in unincorporated territories. So the island that I was on, Saint Croix is part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is one of five unincorporated territories that the U.S. owns. So those are spaces that are not states. They don't have the rights that states have, but they are incorporated to the nation in terms of the political umbrella. Um, and I, as I started to learn about the way that Medicare worked on the island, the way that um, sort of all of the social services and healthcare were managed on the island, I came to see the way that the the management of healthcare at the federal level was really cutting off the U.S. Virgin Islands. It was really not taking care of that space in the same way that it was taking care of um, people living in the states. Um, and then, so I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking about just the aloneness of the geographical space of the island. So if you look at a map, St. Croix is like this tiny little speck in this ma ma massive sea of blue, very, very far from, from Florida. Um, and that has repercussions for everyday life for older adults. So. You know, it, it costs a lot more to bring everything to the island, to bring food to the island, to bring medicine to the island. And again, thinking about the, you know, the, the politics of, 
of Medicare, one of the major things that I ended up researching was that Medicare reimbursements for medical equipment mm -hmm. don't consider the extra money that it takes to ship medical equipment on the sea across mm -hmm. thousands of miles. And so it was impossible for anyone to um, stay in business at a medic as a Medicare provider providing that mm -hmm. kind of medical equipment. Um, and this was because Medicare just didn't um, just didn't think about mm. island spaces. It was, you know, based on a continental model of being able to drive medical equipment where it needed to go, mm. and that's how the costs were calculated. So, and you know, that might seem like sort of an esoteric example, but when mm. you're working with older adults, it's huge. It's not being able to have concentrated oxygen. It's not being able to have a walker, um, a, a hospital walker. bed. You know, right. I mean, all all of that. Right. And right. maybe you're lucky, and you have someone who a family member who lives in the states and can afford it. Mm. Um, but maybe you don't, and then you just go without. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so that's how I started thinking about disregard, is really through the window of aloneness. Mm -hmm. And I saw disregard as, after looking at all these different cases of aloneness, I saw disregard as being sort of the process through which aloneness um, was constituted. So if we think about how, like what's causing this aloneness, how is this mm -hmm. aloneness coming about, mm -hmm. I saw it as disregard. Um, and I saw it as working, I mean, maybe you can tell a little bit from what I've already said, but I saw it as working at, a, at on different social scales. Mm -hmm. So I, t I, I think about bureaucratic disregard as being this sort of geopolitical level of like the, the way that Medicare regulations work, et cetera. I also was thinking a lot about interpersonal disregard. So just thinking about the um, so everyday social life and the way that we might in our everyday lives disregard people while we're paying attention to others. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also think about the experience of disregard, so experiential disregard at that level. And in terms of experiencing disregard, it's important that while it can very much be connected to someone in fact disregarding you, it's also the case that some people feel disregarded no, whether or not they're being paid attention to, you know, there's sort of there's something that makes them feel lonely, isolated, disregarded, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important to decouple. Um, just because, I mean, it's not that someone's always sort of um, putting that feeling on someone, mm -hmm. but you know, there can be various cases in which people, for for different reasons, feel quite abandoned and isolated, even when we might not, right. you know, um, yeah, yeah, and, and to. To say a little about experiencing disregard, it's a bit of a black box, isn't it? We, yeah. We might see people who we would imagine have been disregarded, mm -hmm. uh, and we might wonder what that experience is like mm -hmm. for them, mm -hmm. and we might even notice them moving further and further away from yeah. others, and maybe we might say, oh, they must prefer that, or right. you know, that's where they've decided to go. Mm -hmm. But in fact, as you're saying, it's a little more complicated mm -hmm. because there are uh, interpersonal mm -hmm. and institutional right. and bureaucratic and economic and governmental layers yeah. that uh, 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 kind of all collude together mm -hmm. to leave them mm -hmm. quite alone. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not just a person sitting alone in their room because they don't have friends or family. Right. But much more to it that they're in a, a place in a situation that doesn't receive the attention right. uh, that other situations or problems do. Right. Do. Yeah, and a big part of disregard is, um, well, so I really talk about it as, as rooted in the possibilities for human attention, and so a big part of that is the sort of like inequitable distribution of attention and disregard. Mm. So um, I don't know if I already said this or not, but I, I think of disregard as a configuration of attention through which various 
people or objects or situations don't pull our attention. They, yeah. they don't seem important. We don't notice them as easily. And even if we do notice them, they're sort of easily for us, easy for us to drop away out of our attention. Mm. Whereas other things, we really, once we think about them, we can't stop paying attention to them. Um, yeah. This is an issue that comes up a lot in homeless services because mm. you may have two people you're working with. Mm -hmm one of them tends to isolate, tends to keep to him or herself, be mm -hmm. quite quiet, difficult to engage. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot more effort yeah. to give them the same amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and then one day there's a crisis with mm -hmm. this other person who yeah. tends to always sort of get into conflicts or have yeah. a lot of irritability and you yeah. know walking into traffic mm -hmm. activities you can't ignore right and so right. suddenly you're again pulled away yeah. from the, the quieter more yeah. uh, alone individual yeah who you're also trying to take care yeah. of there's this phrase that I heard a lot on St. Croix um, and that I've off that I think applies to a lot of marginalized populations, which is suffering in silence. Mm. So a lot of people on St. Croix, doctors, social workers, local leaders, told me that our older adults here, they just suffer in silence. And for a while I kind of was puzzled over that. Like I thought I thought maybe that they were saying that culturally um, Afro-Caribbean older Afro-Caribbean adults mm. tended not to complain, which is that is sort of a um, a generic thing that is is in the literature about that region yeah. that it's they yeah. don't or that um, you know they just they don't like to make a fuss mm. right um, and but then as I started to you know spend more time with with older adults there I started to learn more and started to think about disregard I started to see this as a sort of a slightly different claim so mm. um, you know instead instead of and of course there are people like the person you described who in fact does is quieter is you know, yeah. but there's there, there's also a way in which our attention by not paying attention to someone, we are making their suffering silent. So by our own by particular patterns of attention, people's suffering can become silent, can mm -hmm. be rendered silent, um, which I think is you know the case for lots of marginalized populations that yeah. they're not in fact um, not trying to have their needs known, they're not right. trying to find, trying to get help, but that um, but that our patterns of attention have made it such that they don't they don't sound loud, they don't sound important. Um, mm -hmm. Right, they don't sound loud, they don't <laughs> sound important. It's, um, it's such a challenge. Uh, I think there's the experience of helplessness. Mm. When you pass by someone who is quiet yeah. and is not yelling or trying to draw your attention, yeah. you notice things. Mm -hmm. You might say this is a person in need, but you you don't necessarily know how you might give them voice right um, yeah. for all the reasons you're describing there's yeah. so many things that have left them very alone um, it it brings up what I think of as a really important element of thinking through disregard mm -hmm. which is that it's it's not an either or. It's not right. a matter of going out there and finding those who have been left behind or have been forgotten yeah. and bringing them into the light. Right. Um, there's uh, an element of disregard in all the things that we do yeah. to care for other people. Right. Because, well, we could think about why this is. I mean, one way I think about it is that when you're caring for a person, they require all of your attention. Yeah. <laughs> so they take all of you, yeah. and so they necessarily take you away from other things. Yeah. So as an individual caregiver, 
uh, it's it feels like it might not be possible yeah. to live without disregard. Right. That you always are going to be leaving something I mean, behind. That's absolutely true. So yeah, one thing I think is so important for people that are working with disregarded populations or, or just in any kind of caring profession um, is that in order to kind of get, it's just as you said, in order to give the kind of attention that caring requires, which is a very robust kind of attention, you know, it has to be, it has to perdure through time. You have to be thinking about things that maybe aren't wrong yet, but could go wrong in the future. You have to be tracking for patterns to see what maybe they might need soon. Mm. You know, it's a very robust form of attention. It's not just keeping an eye on something, right? Yeah. Um, and in order to, to have that attention, you have to have, you have to be disregarding other things. And I talk, you know, I think a sort of a good way to think about it is um, that disregard is the shadow of care. That um, in order to be caring in one direction, you have to be disregarding in the other, um, mm -hmm. because it's just the way that human attention works. It's just not possible for us to be paying attention to mm -hmm. everything that we want to pay attention to all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to be really compassionate about that. About you know, and not about sort ourselves. of yeah, and not mm -hmm. sort of expect that. I can that okay I think these things are important therefore I will be able to pay attention to all these things with the degree of attention that I want right. Um, right. and of course that's really complicated it's really hard to know at any moment who needs me more mm -hmm. what's the most important problem you know um, right. that's that's really hard but I think that there is uh, it could help some people in the caring professions to let themselves off the hook a little bit to understand that it's absolutely essential that you will be disregarding some things. Yeah, I think I think as well. There's, um, you know, sometimes there's a little pushback when we're taking care of people who have a lot of needs. Mm -hmm. uh, really, they do require all of us and a lot of attention mm -hmm. and time and resources. And someone might say, well, you know, we've got thousands more right. like this. How come this right. person deserves this level right. of care? And that's really a non-answer. I mean, it's right. an answer at a different level. It right. doesn't address the, right. the issue at hand. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's just, it seems emblematic of this yeah. way that certain kinds of caring seem like they're excessive right um, it's sort of an it's like an attention guilt trip that move of yeah. saying like what about zone 300 is like right. guilting you for the amount of attention that you're giving to, to right. something over others right yeah and i think i mean just as you say like that's not it doesn't actually address the issue um because it's like because what is the other option that, oh you want me to pay attention to 1000 people at right. the same time all at once right that's not right. actually possible. possible and because human beings are the kinds of entities that require um very intimate, very direct care in order to be who we are. Um, so you can't sort of say like, oh, we'll just sort of, you know, wash some care over thousands of people <laughs> and um, and they'll all thrive and they'll be fine. Um, especially people who are have been living for a long time in marginalized communities. Um, it takes direct, intimate care in mm. order for them to do better mm. and in order for them to thrive in any way. Um, right. And it's, again, it's a hard puzzle of, well, how do we possibly do that for all of the marginalized people in the world? Um, mm. But the answer certainly isn't not pay attention to individual people. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's also, yeah, as you point out, it's, it's, it's natural to feel that the person you're working with who really tends to not get the attention they deserve, mm -hmm. um, to, to, to feel that somehow you have to fix that, but yeah. in fact you're fighting against all of these other systems yes. 
that have put this situation into place and simply are not ready to examine it and mm -hmm. change it. Right. Um, so there's you can't undo disregard in right. a simple way. Right. Just bringing the person who needs right. attention to to attention that right. doesn't right. fix it because you have all the other uh, levels. Yeah. Uh, in which this situation is is really static. Yeah, it's it's static and it's reproducing itself. So I, you know, one thing that you know, as an as an anthropologist, like I struggle a lot with this about when you know working with people who needed care, and of course I cared for them when I was there, and I cared for them as I could. Um, but knowing that I couldn't help everybody, that it wasn't my job to go around to everybody's house and help everybody. Um, and that I was going to leave. <laughs> mm. So even if I did, even if I, you know, bought as much medical equipment as I could afford for the people who needed it, <laughs> that, you know, that wouldn't really right. help. And, right. but, you know, the, and so I think one thing that, that was very important for me coming out of the research was to realize that identifying, um, that, that, that it was clear through my research that there were certain areas in which the disregard was sort of, um, concentrated or sort of there was like locuses of disregard so it wasn't that so for example because St. Croix is part of the United States everyone there is eligible for Medi after six age mm -hmm. five is eligible for Medicare just like in the states so and there were lots of things like that where they were you know where federal law did apply where they were sort of they had the, the same kinds of rights that we do in the United States and the other places where, where that wasn't the case mm. and the cases where it wasn't the case was I mean one, it's a very cliche uh, term, but they really were like falling through the cracks. It was like mostly okay, and then there were these little cracks in it yeah. that really made the difference. Right. And so things like identifying, um, so you know, working with people, speaking to people in the Medicare bureaucracy, and the, seeing the kind of conversations that they would have with healthcare workers on the island, I could really start to see where the missing links were mm -hmm. and what kind of assumptions Medicare was the Medicare workers were making about the island and people who live there that made that just that made that difference between um, you know because it's not actually that much money between getting right. getting the Medicare the, the the medical equipment reimbursed and not not being able to afford it it's, you know it's not actually that much it's the amount that it takes to pay for someone to put it on a, on a you know a, a ship right um, and so, but that was something that they were completely, that they had not been thinking about at all, that in their conversations, it was, right. it took them a really long time. It, we actually had to bring it up several times. Like yeah. we actually are 50 miles on, on the ocean away from Puerto Rico. So no, we can't just go to Puerto Rico to get mm -hmm. the things we need. Mm -hmm. We're a thousand miles from Florida. We can't actually just bring them down. It's actually quite a, you know, and it took several conversations before the individuals we had on the phone started to kind of catch on like, oh, there's mm -hmm. a more systemic problem here. Yeah. Um, but identifying those 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 things that are going disregarded that are that are becoming disregarded, I think, is one um, one sort of avenue mm -hmm. toward getting to a place where um, where people are less <laughs> disregard where, where groups are yeah. less you know because um, it is in a way a very giant uh, umbrella like okay disregard you know systemic disregard right. um, but through my research I did find that there that you can actually find sort of the thing the the assumptions that are being made the ways that that ways that we are that people are being turned away from um, and that they and they can sometimes I mean you know I haven't changed Medicare law right. um, but but you could theoretically <laughs> change it and that would actually make a huge difference right. and they would be more included in the healthcare of the nation there are it's so important there are these levers you can find mm. Um, you know, Medicare could just understand the shipping costs right. and clarify that they need to add that into right. their reimbursement rate. Right. 
the, the problem actually could get fixed. Right. <laughs> um, and in fact, you talk about a woman who needed an oxygen tank yeah. and, and couldn't get it yeah. from home mm-hmm. uh, because of these Medicare, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the pricing problems, yeah, the guidelines, that there yeah. wasn't a supplier willing to provide her with right. an oxygen tank at the rate that they would receive for it. Right. Uh, so she ended up having to uh, go into hospice care. Yeah. Uh, agree to hospice care. Yeah. Hospice care had all the oxygen tanks they yeah. needed. They yeah. happen to have a different reimbursement structure. Right. Um, so it's it's actually not the scarcity of the no. equipment itself. Exactly. It's it's a le- it's a legislative and political problem. No, absolutely. And so. a recognition problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, shipping. This is right. Yeah. I, you know where are the fixes exactly? We'd have to figure that out, but there are some small fixes that can help yeah. to make the situation more equitable. Yeah, this was the case. This this um, issue of people going on hospice care because they needed medical equipment was the case with so many people that I worked with. It was so common. Yeah. In fact, it was it was so so many hospice patients um, were on hospice because of this that I actually had to sort of work backward. Like with with this one yeah. woman, I actually I was I was there through the process of it happening, so I got to mm-hmm. see it happen. Mm-hmm. But many people I met while they were on hospice care, and mm-hmm. I had to kind of figure out through many conversations with them and their family, like, oh, you just needed an, an, like a hospital bed, or you needed right. oxygen. Um, and and it is one of the sort of one of the paradoxes of the kind of disregard. Um, that the federal government has toward the U.S. Virgin Islands, that sometimes they get things that you wouldn't expect, so like hospice (laughs) care. So the way that the hospice fee structure is, it actually um, works to keep hospices Mm. in business on Mm. the island. They're able to Mm. pay to have the the equipment shipped. They have warehouses full of of hospital beds and oxygen and wheelchairs. And I mean, the people who are working in the hospice want to give it to, it's not that they think like, Mm. They, they, that they are all for profit and want to just make as much money as they yeah. can. They're very good people really trying to help. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if they if they break regulation, they will get shut down. Mm. So they really don't have the, it's really not, I mean, basically if they provided oxygen to one person who wasn't hospice eligible and Medicare found out, then there would be no more hospice on the island. Right. So it's not, you know, it's not possible. Um, but yeah, it's one of these odd things where, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a situation that's being very much disregard. I mean, any community in which you're unable to get medical equipment except for going on palliative care, yeah. um, where that where you have to stop all curative treatment, and I mean, it's just, make any sense. yeah, it just yeah. really shows how little value is put on right. the lives of the people who live there. How little value is put on the lives of the people that live there. Yeah. It's very important because we see this happen a lot in mental health services mm-hmm. generally, but certainly in caring for people who've been homeless for a long time. Mm-hmm. They end up in a situation that seems odd or inappropriate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe not fair to them, mm-hmm. but it's the only way to get some piece yes. of something that they absolutely yes. need. I mean, one example is there are times when there's a debate, um, would we like this person in jail? Because getting into yeah, jail is right. the only way they can get mm-hmm. some mental health treatment and mm-hmm. potentially even from there a place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other examples, uh, you know, people who maybe don't need to stay in the hospital a- as long as they stay in the hospital in order to get to a place where they can get housed. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It feels totally wrong. Why is the system structured yeah. in this way? We don't want this person to be in this situation. Right. They don't want to be in this situation. But 
I can't live without oxygen. Right. So what else do I do? Right. You know, I can't have this person die on the streets. What else do I do? Right. Yeah. And it's reflective of this whole structure that just hasn't given enough attention right. to the nature of the right. problem for these particular people. No, exactly. If someone, if, if, if I say someone, but I mean, you know, a group of people working at a certain level were paying attention, they would see that, oh, wait a second, <laughs> people are going to jail, like, in order to get these things, yeah. or you can't get these things unless, like, if you if you sort of look at a flowchart, huh, the only way to get there from their position is through jail. And same thing with the, the hospice and medical equipment. It's not, you know, yeah, I had to do some research to figure it out, but everyone who lives there, I mean, not everyone who lives there, everyone who works in healthcare <laughs> knows. Mm. Um, they may, mm. they don't know the specifics of exactly why it is that there's, that they can't, that people can't afford to sell medical equipment there. They just mm. know that nobody does. Right. Um, and that people go on hospice to get it. Um, so it's not its not that it's um, sort of buried deep, right? It's just that no one's actually paying attention to the, the broader Right, I mean, has it become normalized for them? Do they accept it as the way things are? Do they to some extent, it trouble yeah. them any longer? Yeah, what? yeah, no, it, it you know, everyone's a little bit sort of different about it, but it certainly is troubling. Um, mm -hmm. St. Croix has a very diverse population, so it's it's a little bit difficult. A lot of people who have moved down further from the States, a lot of people who have come up from um, Eastern Caribbean countries, so it's a little bit hard to sort of to tell, talk about a collective attitude because they all mm -hmm. have different, you know, kinds of different perspectives. But, um, but they're definitely, I mean, the sense, when you live on a small island, mm -hmm. you're sort of used to th that in, in all areas of life. Mm -hmm. So everything, mm -hmm. you kind of get weird mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, there's, you know, uh, like ice cream, this is a stupid so example, but like ice cream on like the that, island costs yeah. like $30, like a pint right, of Haagen-Dazs right. costs $28. Right. And they just think of, and they're like, yep, it's because we live here, you know, it's because yeah. it has to be frozen across the ocean, yeah. you know, and yeah. so they're sort of used to living a life, the small island life, where yeah. it's kind of, it's odd the kinds of things you can get versus you can't get, um, and I think in some ways that just feels like a, like the same type of thing, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's lots of things you can't do on St. Croix because it's a small island, mm -hmm. and this is one of them. Yeah. I think it mostly feels like that. For people huh. who are who are in um, higher level in terms of um, in terms of the bureaucracy of healthcare, so people who are working in yeah. management and who are actually familiar with Medicare reimbursement schemes, yeah. um, I think it's much more troubling much for them troubling. Um, because they mm -hmm. see exactly what's happening. Right, because it's always a risk in a way. Well, I guess this is a question. What is the risk? There are some risks to working with populations. Mm that have been disregarded, that mm. are, you know, that tend to be ignored. There are risks around the sorts of things you get used to, that you start to mm. accept, that you become a little cynical about mm -hmm. or hardened to, yeah. or you stop noticing how strange they are. Mm -hmm. um, and that you also sometimes become uh, marginalized mm. yourself mm -hmm. because if you're allied with that group that mm -hmm. tends not to get much attention, then mm -hmm. maybe you too end up in a, yeah. a, a corner of mm -hmm. your professional world. Sometimes yeah. that kind of feeling where you as a caregiver don't have power right. in the systems you work in because mm -hmm. of the people that you advocate for. Mm -hmm. um, there are risks to that yeah. and uh, I guess risks of feeling, of, of getting used to things that actually mm. ought to get fixed. Right. Uh, risks of just feeling frustrated yeah. and disappointed yeah. all the time. Yeah, there was definitely, 
a pattern I'm thinking especially of the people that I worked with um, at the hospital, so, so nurses and CNAs and also those who are working um, in the hospice. There was um, a pretty common pattern there of people coming to work for a little while, so coming to the island from the states mostly to work for a little while um, and then you know leaving again. And um, it's problematic for a lot of reasons in terms of patient like continuity of care and things. Um, but you know, one thing that they would talk to me a lot about is like it's kind of crazy what you can't get here. Like yeah. like you know I was you know they were people who went to school in the states and who expect and maybe who you know did some internships there or who expected a certain level of. Um, just basic materials that exist in a hospital mm -hmm. um, and so the kinds mm -hmm. of workarounds they would have to do for things yeah. um, and they would they would become very frustrated and eventually I mean what I would find is that either people would become resigned or they would leave um, right. occasionally right. I would meet someone who would um, really you know I don't know what about their character sort of made this but that would they would say like yeah it's really hard and it really sucks but I think that this is where I need to be mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is I mean that's a very exception to me a very exceptional mm -hmm. person that could just so every day live with that kind of frustration um, and I don't think that that's I mean it would be wonderful if we all felt that way but also they also weren't doing to change it because in a way it was resignation you know it was mm -hmm. like this is really hard for me it's really hard for me to see how much mm -hmm. people are suffering mm -hmm. um, but you know I'm really good at I'm a really good nurse or whatever right. it was you know right. I think I can do I can do more for them than other people could right. um, so I mean it's I don't think that we, we need pe we need those people but we also need people who are are so frustrated and so that they they'll fix it yeah <laughs> right <laughs> that they need to, that they figure out what's wrong and, yeah. and try to yeah try to fix it well there's a few different fixes it, it's it seems to me that are worth thinking about I mean one is that a decision could be made here's the outcome we want yeah you know we want someone to be able to get an oxygen tank if yeah. they need it who's on um, Medicare yeah we yeah. want <laughs> medications and whatever needed mm -hmm. medical equipment we want those to get there too I mean yeah. we want everyone there to have a basic level of care yeah and I think, you know, we think about this in homeless services. We, you know, we want people to not be living on the streets. We want yeah. people housed. We have some sort of goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And so if you hold yourself and everyone else is held to that goal, mm -hmm. then you just got to work out these other right. inequities mm -hmm. that emerge along the way. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a, a, a fine-grained work of undoing the disregard, mm -hmm. as you say, sort of unraveling all the problems mm -hmm. that hadn't been noticed before. Mm -hmm. um, because you're beholden to that group, you're going to mm -hmm. get them to the place you want them to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. And so all these things you haven't attended to mm -hmm. before suddenly need some fix. Mm -hmm. um, that's a little idealistic, mm -hmm. but I mean, I can imagine that sort of process. If we could have a, 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 a basic outcome we're seeking sure. and working toward for everyone yeah um, there could be less opportunity to not notice some mm -hmm. of these problems part of what makes it I mean there's a lot of different elements but part of what makes it not happen is the way that disregard can reproduce itself so when you're not noticing something that that everyone gets in the much care you know the same level of care mm -hmm. doesn't include people living in uncovered yeah. territories it's like yeah. everyone in the United States and you often see in even in writing in laws like that everyone in in the 50 states and, and they mean and the US territories but it's not actually in the law um, because they just don't aren't they don't think about them and there's n they don't see them as, as really being part of the nation in the same way um, and so that very easily I mean it just you know once you sort of stop seeing something it just then it gets it literally gets they get written out of the law they literally get written out of the law 
um, and then mm. in the future those are the mm. you know I, I think of of course for an individual it's easy mm. for us to talk about paying attention to or not paying attention to yes but at the level of at states and bureaucracies and organizations the way that I see it is really that they sort of they they pattern their own possibilities for attention through legislative means through material means um, and then they sort of set up the next generation for right. themselves of of, right. of this this attention being canalized in certain ways through the kinds of rules that they work by yes. the way that their budgets are normally distributed and that that yeah. just doesn't get re-examined um, right. just sort of goes on in perpetuity well it's it's very important what you're saying that the solution they would come up with would address the problem that they see. And it right. doesn't address the problem they're not looking right. at. Right. And so then that makes it worse, reproduces right. things, it becomes um, more and more pushed out yes. and isolated yeah. uh, from this purported solution, right. uh, which was designed for others. Right, yeah. Um, I think you've kind of a couple times come around to this, but this idea that there's a difference between like a standard one-size-fits-all treatment yeah. and that, and then this other model where maybe you're finding out for the person who knows them best, or maybe you are, um, you know, doing a much more um, in-depth sort of initial convers intake conversation with them or whatever it is that you actually, and then suiting, you know, what you, what you help them with to their exact need, you know, th th that's all things that are, that's like the difference between attention and not attention. So when mm -hmm. you're actually, so I mean, yes, giving a one-size-fits-all to a population that maybe has never been um, provided for at all, that's, of course, that's way better than nothing. And that is some kind of, that's some kind of mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. But then the kind of attention where you're actually spending time with a person and then in order to make decisions you're talking to the person who spent time with them mm -hmm. that's what I mean by like that's that's care right like that's the kind of caring attention yeah. Yeah. um and and just I mean this is this is um not an exact 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 parallel but it's interesting in, in the case of St. Croix again so um I was just thinking about well who would that who would those people be for St. Croix like who would the people be who you could go and talk to about what's going on on island yeah. what older adults need and yeah. and you know we don't really know because they don't have federal voting representation <laughs> so they have a repre re representative right. in, in Congress right. but she doesn't have the vote so mm -hmm. there's no mm -hmm. reason she doesn't have any power I mean you can imagine being in Washington without a vote you just who no one listens you know there's no yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she's respected etc but she doesn't actually have any pull any power so she would be the person and, of, and again she wouldn't you know she wouldn't know everything about about everyone's needs but she'd have some sense of what life was like on island yeah. what the major obstacles were yeah. what we need help with um but that person doesn't have the vote so it's like it's like yeah. someone it's like the person on the team who knows that person best and you're just saying yeah you don't get to talk today you know we're going to make the decision without you right. i mean i was wondering if there once you start to recognize and accept that it might be impossible to undo all these layers of inequity and inattention mm -hmm. and decades and longer of, of not really noticing certain kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. um, you can't undo all of that and you have to live next to it mm -hmm. and you're trying to work through it. Um, there will be times, and it's uh, it's it's just unavoidable that, that there is an element of noticing that we do that too. You know, we we're attending to certain things and mm -hmm. not to others, and we walk past people and we can't help in the way we want to. Mm -hmm. And um, and you know, I'm going to spend a lot of time with this person, and then there are four other people who won't have anything that day, and yeah. and that that's just sort of the nature of it. Yeah. Um, and that there's no other way through it except yeah. to 
try to spend the time that's required for each situation. Mm-hmm. I think as well it it highlights the way that you really have very special knowledge mm-hmm. when you have been able to come to know groups mm-hmm. that aren't well understood. Yeah. That um, really bring something very valuable. Yes. Yeah. to the table when you can speak about the reality of their experience mm-hmm. because it may not be well known and well understood by mm-hmm. most people mm-hmm. and so just even speaking on behalf of them mm-hmm. can be uh, very important um, the other idea that you know I was thinking about another thing as you were speaking I'm not quite sure why this thought came to me, but I'm thinking about someone I met yesterday who lives in a narrow parking lot and has been there for many, many years and happens to be empty during the day. And it's probably a space he has mostly to himself and he's able to kind of hide there and um, can can really be quite alone. Mm And you think about someone like that, and you kind of forget that they are someone's son, Mm -hmm. maybe someone's partner, maybe someone's parent, uh, someone's grandchild, that Mm -hmm. there's uh, aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews around this person, undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they're sitting there alone, but you know that they belong to others. Um, but those others are absent and right. you know we think a lot about how important it is not to blame families and to you know really of course we all do really yeah. empathize with the challenge yeah. of having a relative who is ill and, and how hard it is mm-hmm. to help them and, um, and all of that is true and the fact that the family is not there in the moment is just a a facet of this fact that mm-hmm. you can't spend all of your time right. attending to this problem. Right. And once you do the best you can, you need to move right. on and, yeah, as you say, do other things with your yeah, time. Exactly. Um, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have family. He still right. has all those ties. Right. All those ties still matter. And you almost have to re- remind yourself to remember that yeah. and think of him in that way because yeah. it's not immediately visible. Right, right, yeah. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, all his family members are involved in caring for things all the time. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not just sitting at home twiddling their thumbs, not paying attention to their family member. Um, they're not actively right. disregarding him. Right. <laughs> they're they're right. not actively avoiding. Right. Um, or wanting him away. So it took me a long time because I don't live in a community in which migration is as common as it is in the Caribbean. So Mm -hmm. I grew up in California. People move, but there isn't a tradition of migration like there is in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. It's a centuries-old tradition of migration. It's very common for families Mm -hmm. to migrate, for younger generations to migrate and have their children elsewhere. And so, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but I sort of had to figure that out on the ground of like, wait, where is everybody? You know, and they say, oh, well, you know, a lot of them are in Florida, some of them are in Texas, a few of them are in our home island. Um, And then some of them are are here, but they're, you know, they're working really hard to to make sure that the lights are on and that there's air conditioning and whatever there is. Actually, air conditioning was hardly ever on. But, you know, the the kinds of things that they needed to even just be semi-comfortable there in the bed. They were, that the the family members who were there had to spend all their time working in order to make sure that was... um, 
Yes, yeah, so it's it's very interesting to think. Yeah, you encounter people alone, and you sort of like have to yeah. put the pieces together. Yeah. Finally, realize that with some of the people I was working with, who to me were living in conditions that were intolerable. Mm -hmm. So people who, for example, I'm thinking of one person in particular, but there were lots of people who couldn't move out of their hospital bed, so like couldn't stand up on their own. Some of them could roll over, but many of them couldn't, um, and could reach what was in reach, mm -hmm. um, but didn't have a, a very elaborate setup. So you know, it was like there'd be a bottle of water there, and mm -hmm. people would bring food a couple times a day. But you know, if they got hungry, there was no getting food. There was no one in. They they were, they were alone. They couldn't call out yeah. to anyone. Um, you know, for me, and of course, being in, in, in the pain of illness also, right? Like, yeah. they're not, there's also, there's illness process going on. I found it to be very interesting in my field work who um, did vocalize sentiments of feeling disregarded or in other ways showed me that I felt disregarded and who yeah. didn't. Yeah. And it was not, it was not like an easy, it wasn't like, oh, well, they have less family coming, so they feel more disregarded, right? Um, one woman in particular who um, really stood out, it was someone who, um, actually had more family around than most people, um, but she felt she felt very abandoned. She felt very disregarded. She, I mean, she she talked to me about it all the time about how her family wasn't taking good care of her, that they didn't love her, that they, you know. And if you sort of look at her situation in like a like on paper, in fact, she was getting much more family care than many of the other people that I was working with. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's I mean, and it is just for me, it's still really an open question of like, in in certain groups, like. What 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 individuals do feel at disregard, mm -hmm. um, and and then who who vocalizes that? You know who who kind of like really makes that into a into an experience that they're having, um, and for right. whom is that just in the background? And then also so interesting for whom for whom who would we identify as being very disregarded, but who doesn't take up that identity or right. that doesn't feel that way? I think it's yeah very interesting. I, I don't have any answers for it, but. Right, I don't either, but it's not a simple answer. It's not a situation where we can wait for a person to raise their hand right. and ask for right. I'd attention. like some more attention, please. Right? right. Um, yeah. It's too complex yeah. for that. And I mean, I'm thinking too of the example of a nurse who decides to stay and work there, mm -hmm. kind of has a choice. Mm -hmm to say, I'm going to live with this, mm -hmm. it's going to become a thing that I'm resigned to, yeah. and I'm used to it, and I'm not going to let it bother me, or I'm going to leave. Yeah. Um, and so if you have no choice but to live with it, it's very natural yes. to, to not imagine other possibilities. I think that's so true.